Welcome to Season 3, Episode 1. This is actually Episode 17 overall of Tailoring Talk. Every single episode I say I'm excited, and today I'm I'm even more excited than the last time because uh, <laughs> I've come to Savile Row, uh, Sackville Street to be precise, and I'm at Dorme, one of the cloth uh, mills that I've worked with for a very long time. They're one of my favourite uh, fabric makers to work with. One uh, of the I, oldest, one of the oldest. One of the oldest. I haven't introduced you yet. No, sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry, someone's also very, very excited here as well. Um, but also, it's another live recording with somebody in person, which is great. So it's a sign of starting slowly to get back to normality. And uh, and also, it's nice to kick off season three um, doing an episode where we're actually doing some tailoring talk for once. I am joined by Alec Jerome Parkinson. That's correct. <laughs> I wasn't hesitating. <laughs> of Dorme. Alec, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. I, didn't, I only just realised when you said it that this is your third season. So now I feel like the pressure's on a little bit. And normally you say you don't really talk about tailoring. So now the pressure is twofold. So It's mega. Yeah. We kind of... Uh, so, so basically season one and two have only been eight episodes each. But basically... I'm finding eight episodes is as much as I can kind of take before I get completely exhausted. Because don't forget, I not only have to host, record, I have to edit, promote. It's uh, There's a lot of work involved. And because our industry is slowly starting to come back, touch mm. lots of wood, um, things are obviously getting busier day to day. So I'm getting less time to podcast. Um, Busy is good. Yeah, but... I want to keep showing up every week because that's what I've committed to our listeners. And and I also enjoy it as well because I just get to hang out with different amazing people every week. And this week is no exception. This is my first ever podcast. What? I've never done a podcast before. Wow. I know, right? But you've done so much other stuff that <laughs> involves uh, entertaining people, haven't you? That sounds dodgy. Um. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll get into your days as a Chippendale at some point. But no, but before you got into tailoring, yes. you were... No, I'm going to say you are an actor because someone... Okay, well, that's very nice of you. But no, I, I, was, I used to be a professional actor before I got involved in this industry. Um, but when I was doing that line of work, I never did a podcast. I never talked to people uh, for the purpose of people to listen to my experience. So, yeah, no, this is uh, my first podcast, or maybe of the podcast generation, I've been told before, but no. First ever podcast. Hey, well, con- <laughs> look, congratulations. Um, so, yeah, it's another first, because last episode I had my first woman on. So really? I had my first woman on. <laughs> I mean, I had my first lady I'm, guest. I'm starting which, to, what, is this what the podcast is about? You had your, is this what it's My first, yeah, this is it. It's, uh, yeah, tailoring my sex life. Um, no, but it was my, oh God, she actually listens to this as well. No, it's, I had my, my, my wife on. I had my wife. Uh, this is going wrong already. Yeah. Um, anyway, back to you. Ooh. So before we get into... Um, uh, talking about fabric and talking about Dorme and the reasons why I love tailoring with your, your cloth so much. Mm. Um, I do want to just talk about how you came into 
the world of fabric. So you were a professional actor. Yeah, so I used to be an actor, trained, went to drama school, uh, left drama school when I was probably about 24, 25, maybe a bit younger actually. Um, and yeah, I had an agent and I was a jobbing actor, as most jobbing actors do. You end up having a, a job in hospitality. Um, and those jobs are very accommodating for you going away and doing plays or doing a bit of filming for TV or a little film work here and there. Um, I even moved to Toronto, did some work out there, came back. Um, but yeah, so I used to be an actor. I loved acting because it was about storytelling and escapism. And I think that's what kind of brought me into that industry and, you know, it's for it's for the romantics in life. You know, you want escapism. Uh, you find joy out of telling stories, and that's how I used to explain it. About you know, to, to me, it was being a storyteller. Yeah. Um, and that was it. And we all know how hard the acting industry is. Um, it's really hard. You know, there's just so many people that want to do that, and there simply isn't enough of that cookie to go around. Um, so yeah, I was passionate about that, and. As the years went on, uh, the gaps between work get, you know, longer. And it's a really hard industry. And I think it got to a point where I was in my, just, I think I was about 32, 33, that I really started giving a lot of thought to doing something different. Um, but at the same time, during those years, I uh, became a bar manager of a, a quite a well-known uh, restaurant in Soho. And during those years of being there, on and off, I made friends with lots of people who were in this industry. Because as you know, Savile Row in Mayfair is next door to Soho. So that's where a lot of the fabric merchants will do their entertaining for the tailors and designers. So over the years, I met merchants, I met tailors, and I always loved tailoring. I always loved um, classical dress code. And when I was a bar manager, I had all my bar, my bar staff in very different waistcoats. I didn't want it to be too uniform, but I love waistcoats and I love tweedy waistcoats. And I love ties and I love bow ties. And I just got into that kind of the industry that way. I mean, I was just really passionate about it. And I think a lot of the guys that would come into the bar or the restaurant would love what the guys were wearing. And I just ended up having lots of conversations about fabric with a lot of these guys. Um, so yeah, I formed a very strong relationship with um, my predecessor, uh, Dorme. And then over the years, I think I came back, I just came back from Toronto and I bumped into this man who worked for Dorme and I was explaining to him that, you know, it's been it's such a hard slog being an actor and working, working nights and then having to learn loads of lines for an audition the next day and the stress levels are mounting and I've got active friends and, you know, a lot of these actors end up in very dark places and I didn't really want to go down that line. I think I just got engaged and you know I just wanted a bit more security anyway I was kind of offloading to my predecessor and he just said look you know it's really hard for him to find good people who are naturally good at talking to people and who are passionate about about this subject and although I had no experience in the trade it's almost like I got headhunted he said you're really good at talking to people you're obviously passionate about this and I'd rather have I'd rather try and get you involved so to cut a long story short, I was brought in to look after the London accounts for the company, uh, for Cut Length Cloth. Um, and I really, I hit it off with all the guys and, you know, it wasn't a dead set thing. I didn't just get the job. It was an interview process. And 
but it just worked. It was a really good match. And um, from my first day, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the experience of getting to know all the different tailoring houses, getting to really know about fabric as such there's so much to know and there's so much to learn and it's a ongoing thing and it is uh very organic and it's just got a beautiful rich history especially in london especially in the uk fabric itself has got such a deep uh woven history into our dna um making fabric and yeah i've loved it i love it i love the industry and i love the people and uh yeah that's how i got into the the, uh the trade and i i called my agent I think after my first day, and I just said, look, I know I'm pending for a few jobs. There were only commercials at the time. Mm. But I said, look, I don't think, I think you know that my, my passion is gone and I found something that I want to give a go. And they were there understanding and said, if you want to come back, you know, we'll always represent you. And yeah, but uh, I haven't looked back. I obviously miss the good times when you're an actor, when you're a good job, if you're on set and you're really, you know, lucky enough to be in that position. It's great. It's great when it's good, but when it's tough, it's, it's it's really, really it's tough. It's really tough, yeah, because you are there's only so much you can do. Um and that may sound like an excuse because I think everyone can always do a bit more, but you know, a lot of it for the big jobs you are waiting and you know, you've got a lot of uh you're putting a lot of trust in your agent to get you put put in front of the right directors and casting directors and stuff like that. And um There's so many there's so many variables, there's so many things that you have to rely on when you're it's not as simple as you go audition and then they decide they like you or they don't or you're right for the part or whatever. It's, I mean, it can be soul destroying, right? Because you meant you touched on it a few minutes ago. Um, like just the, the, the amount of pressure that builds up leading up to an audition. There's lots of actors who are alcoholics. There's lots of actors who are suffering from depression because, you know, like you said, you are going up for auditions and, you know, even if you're lucky, you're getting two or three auditions a week. And that's a, you know that's a good place to be, and it's really yeah. you're, and you you understand you're not going to get every job, but when you don't get every job, still it's really hard to take, you know, it's because you want to do every job. Um, but after a while, you do realise that you know you don't really have too much choice of what you're going to do because when you study acting, when you're at drama school, you fall in love with the process, you fall in love with the classics, you fall in love with working on good material. And then you think that's how it's going to be. I just get to explore um, all these different texts and you get to explore, um, you know, literature in that way. But you don't really. You just end up getting told to go to auditions and it could be for a commercial. It could be for a TV show. It could be for fringe theatre. It could be for anything. But you don't, you know, you, you will just take the job because you need to work. Yeah. And you love working. But... Yeah, you have no choice. So it's really hard to get good work and you're really lucky to even get to uh, go on X amount of auditions a week. But the pressure builds up and uh, it's a very tough trade. Um, and if you're lucky enough to get picked up on a big show or a big TV series or you know, a big theatre production, it's uh, it's great. And then that can propel you into uh, you know a strong career. But uh, majority of people are jobbing actors. And the other downside to that is a lot of them have to have a job in hospitality and you have to accept that you do more evening work because you need your days free for um, auditions Yeah, and that means that you're working at nights and sometimes you'll get an email from your agent at four o'clock in the afternoon, five o'clock in the afternoon and they give you five pages of script to learn. They say you've got to be at the uh, casting studio tomorrow at um, 11 o'clock in the morning and you need to be off script and you know, that means you finish work, you 
get home, it's about midnight, and you, you, cram. Know, and you cram it in. You go into bed at three or four, and then you have a little sleep, and you go in there, and yeah, once again, the pressure's up, the nerves are kicking, the lines are barely learned, really, because you're just trying to cram it in as much as you can, and you can't actually produce a good product as an actor at the end. I mean, obviously, some people do, and they're amazing. I didn't think I was amazing. <laughs> I thought I was a, I thought I was a, you know, a fairly average actor. Oh, I think, you know, you get, people approach the craft differently, don't they? I mean, yeah. I remember, <clears throat> I, I, I remember, you know, when it was me way back when, and, you know, for me, I needed just that little bit more time to, memorising scripts, memorising lines wasn't really a problem for me. Yeah but I needed more time to let it all sink in and to really, it, it needed to become a part of me so that then when I was spurting, you, you know, so you're not just reading lines back. Yeah, you want to right? work on the nuances. You want to work on everything, you know, your craft, why you go to drama school, why you train, because it's a craft. You train yeah. to do it. And to really dissect a script is a process and that process takes time. Some people can do it like that. Some people can't. Some people are a bit dyslexic, so it's even harder for them. Some people bounce off people. Some people, uh, you know, have some people are really good when they build a connection with a director or uh, someone they're reading with. You know, there's so many variables yeah. involved. And uh, then, you know, at the end of the day, you can be really good. But if you don't look like the part, you're not going to get the part. Exactly. I, I think a lot of auditions, they kind of almost have decided... Like the literally the moment you've crossed the I've threshold, given, and I they mean, set. I, I did some work on Casualty, and the director, the director. This is the other thing. Sometimes you've got the casting director, sometimes you've got the director and casting director. And this time I had the casting director and and the director. And I walked in and I I read well, and I think I it was unheard of. I think I got called back by my agent about three hours later, and they said, "Yeah, we're giving you the they're giving you the part." And she said, "I've never I've never had the turnover that quickly before," and I got on set. And I had a meeting with the director, and she said, "I just I knew that you were right for the part as soon as you walked in. Even when you read the script, I didn't yeah. know it was fine. It was fine, but like I, as soon as you walked in, you were the character, and I knew that you were right for the role. So yeah, you're right. It's just it can be not depending on your performance in an audition. Yeah, and you can audition well, and then you also you might not be good when you're on set, uh, and vice versa. So you could a lot of actors will probably slip through the net because they're not very good at auditioning, but they're amazing actors, which is why acting for Theatre and the film is so different as well because I think you get more of a time uh, in the process of auditioning uh, with uh, theatre than you would in its uh, film. Yeah, and what I did was more theatre than I was barely ever in front of a camera. Mm. You know, my my TV appearances have been limited to being on Channel 4's Nightmare New Homes and things like that when we've <laughs> bought a new build that's gone horribly wrong. Um, or being on London Live, uh, which nobody ever watches. I don't even know if that channel still exists. I, but, I have no idea. Yeah, anyway, there we go. Um, but it also highlights um, an issue that I talked about with a guest a few episodes ago, Jason Yap, who um, is a dancer and producer. Mm in Slovakia by way of Malaysia. Um, So Malaysian born, went to Hong Kong, then went, ended up in Slovakia. So that's where he's based at the moment. And uh, we were talking about um, this, this phrase that had been coined by uh, another dancer who's based in the U S called Erin pride called dancer, dancerpreneurship. Um, And, and the, the whole thing, and this, You'll tell me in a second if this applies to actors as well, because I know if Jason and Erin are listening, they'll be really interested in this. 
we will get back to tailoring and cloth <laughs> at some point. Don't worry, people listening. Um, but um, they basically are are looking at the problem that exists within the dance industry. Yeah, that dancers are not prepared for a life outside of dance. Yeah, when it ends, so when their performing career ends, mm. or even before that, if they don't make it, because obviously in in the dance industry or that side of the entertainment industry, hospitality, they have that same problem. A lot of dancers don't make it. Yeah, you know, they don't make it into big productions or to theatre or whatever. Mm. Um, and but but and they're so underprepared for doing anything else afterwards. Yeah. Now with dancers, they have a talent. They have a God-given talent to be able to move their bodies and interpret and all of that stuff, which I cannot do. If you listen to that episode, you'll learn exactly why. My wife basically calls me a tree. She <laughs> says the tree's got more movement than I have. Um, but. Um, but they, yeah. So as I say, I've now lost my train of thought. But they, you know, they're not taught. Yeah. That, so so yeah. So so they've got a talent. Yeah. That is could be packaged as a product and could be sold, whether it's as a course, teaching other people, whatever. Mm. But they're not taught the skills to do that, and yeah. so a lot of people in that That's, side of entertainment and hospitality I, get left behind. Yeah, I get. And I imagine so. it's possibly similar for actors I because think maybe I mean I think the thing with most actors and most actors I know have met uh, one thing they are good at is talking normally about something and you know using their uh, kind of they, actors are normally very emotionally intelligent people and I was going to say I'm not though but then I guess maybe I am well if I mean you know you can be socially intelligent you can be emotionally intelligent and you know if you're emotionally intelligent I've found that these people like to they want to express their emotions and yeah. when you're ex- expressing emotions they want to talk and I think actors there are a lot of actors that do work in hospitality and once again talking and communication so the thing with actors I would say definitely actors at my level when they're dropping actors, you have to do so many other things to get by anyway until acting pays off. So yeah, this is true. Doing a lot, but then once again, those other jobs you do aren't that aren't really career jobs as much. Obviously, hospitality is can be a career job, um, but I think there's a lot of resentment there that you know, act a lot of actors that work in hospitality resent the fact that they work in hospitality until they really give it a go. So they can always do that as a career path, but you know, you spend so much time doing a job that you don't want to do so you can focus on uh, your other, you know, your passion that I think you miss out on other life experiences and also maybe putting your, dipping your toes in waters that you want to explore in terms of other careers. So yeah, I think you can, some actors might say, might, might throw the towel in at 35 and they've been doing it since, uh, you know, in the early t- early twenties, and find themselves in a position where, it's like, they must say, "I wish I just did that ago." And they probably could have done that, but they don't. They're not at the age where they're prepared to take that salary cut to do to start again in something else. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, I think, I think. Once again, I do think actors they vary so much. There's some who I, who are very much like me and there were some who weren't like me at all. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think from my experience, actors do a lot of other things just so they can provide and pay rent. Yeah. Whereas a lot of actors who are privileged and who are quite rich, who probably are trust fund kids, 
gay way of not doing anything until they I was thinking about the other side of that coin you know people like um, I I could be getting myself in trouble here but you immediately spring to mind people like Tom Hiddleston and Hiddleston and and Benedict Cumberbatch and people like that not taking anything away from their talent not at all I mean I'm massive fans of of those guys but at the same time you know I'm guessing that their whole kind of career they had that so I I won a place at Rose Bruford which you know, yeah. at the time I was over the moon. I was jumping through hoops. Mm. Um, I, uh, my drama teacher at college, um, my monologue as Cooligan in Three Sisters, mm. um, actually had two people in tears in the front row who came up hey. to me afterwards to, hey. <laughs> and and he he compared my performance to Daniel Day Lewis in, is it a room with a view? Possibly, but whatever Daniel Day Lewis. Film he Basically, did with Helena Bonacom. You are as good as Daniel Day Lewis. I'm not, obviously, because I'm now I'm, I'm sat here talking to you, and he's you know Oscar winner and all the rest of it. Um, but um, good school though, Rose Bruford. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, great school. But I can go because we not only um, it, it was when free university education had just ended. Mm. Um, but also there was the accommodation on top because I'd have to leave London. And um, so I had to go and take a job and defer for a year. So I went and got a sales job to try and earn some money because my parents couldn't afford to support me to let me yeah. go. And um, uh, and then and then I've not left sales ever since. <laughs> but I kind of feel like so I've been. You, so they kept the place there for you for a year. You deferred. And yeah, then but then I I just stay. couldn't take it. Really? It's just you know, and and I don't know if that's partly my. See, my wife, when she hears this back, I am going to get my my throat slit because she hates me using this term or or talking about myself like this, but I can't help it because it's upbringing in a way. But because of my working class background, (laughs) um, you, you know kind of having those types of aspirations or if you were going to go to university yeah you know my and again asian background all the rest of it um if they were going to invest money in sending you to university then it had better be for a job that had security right yeah. not to all intents and purposes a freelance job <laughs> like being an artist or being an actor yeah. or a dancer or whatever you know, it, if you were going to go to be an accountant or a doctor or a lawyer, one of those, you know, the big three Asian professions, um, then it was fine. But it wasn't really that. And, you know, my older cousins who were at university at that point, but they were studying things like computer sciences and so on. Um, even, they were no help whatsoever to me that in front of my parents because they'd be like, oh, you know, he wants to go off and do acting and all these stupid arty-farty subjects. And and that just wasn't a help either at all. And um, Such a shame. Yeah, it is, really. But then I kind of feel like I've been... Because I'm quite introverted naturally as a person. Mm. And when I came into tailoring, so I, I did retail jobs first of all. And then eventually I got out of that and got into... I was working for a technology company in Wembley for about four years. So that was my first kind of experience of being in a bigger corporate environment and selling to corporate people and, you know, being engaged with people who were above Joe Public. Yeah. Um, And then from there, then I needed to go find something else. And and I'd, I'd studied art and design at college 
And so fashion had always been there since I was very young. But getting a job in clothing at this level in Savile Row, again, was very, very difficult because way back when in the early 2000s, there was a certain type of profile that meant you walked into the door at a lot of the big tailors. And if you were, you know, basically looking like me and from Croydon and the way that I used to speak as well. (laughs) Um, Well, How did you used to speak? Um, I can't even put it on anymore. I think I, I did it a couple of episodes back because I was with an, an old friend of mine that we'd kind of grown up together and I tried to slip back. And when I listened back to that episode, I sound like an idiot. Um, so I just stick to my posh Tory voice. What I think in my head is. Um, but, you know, that was the other thing as well. You know, when I, when I um, first got into tailoring and visiting tailoring and all of a sudden I was, I was in you know, the city of London and I was following these sales professionals who were going into these big fancy offices mm. and talking to people who were obviously vast, vastly more intelligent than me. Um, they obviously were doing extremely well financially. Um, it was really bright lights, big city. Yeah. And I thought to myself, if I'm going to survive in this and if I'm going to get people to trust me, because you, you do have to do a lot of faking it till you make it in this, this business. Um, I, I'm going to have to change things about myself. You know, the way I walk, the way I talk, the way I, and all of a sudden you start studying a character. It's such a shame though, really. I mean, I think everyone does do it though. As you grow up, you mm-hmm. you, te- you end up becoming the person that you kind of want to be or you try to be the person you want to be perceived as. But it's, um, it's such a shame, really, that you can't just... Na- that can't happen naturally and it just comes out of you. It's, uh, it's a shame that we uh, have to look at everyone else and then try to change ourselves to be uh, respected or to, to think that we can make it like that. But, yeah, uh, yeah I mean... Survival, though. Yeah, I, I guess that we do it when we're teenagers. You, come to, you, go, you go to secondary school and you realise that this is a lot, this is big school, it's not primary school, so you end up trying to become something that you're not as well, and then eventually you might become that, that product, that's, you know, that, that thing. Um, but yeah, it's a shame. I, yeah. I, feel, I feel sorry now. Oh, don't feel sorry for me. I feel, all right, fine, I feel sorry for you. We need to have our own pity party. Um, you've probably got some form of IMDB. Mine is completely non-existent. Um, so, but, you know, you... You, you know, through your love of talking and talking and talking, which is great for you know for doing something like this because I can just let you go. No, um, no, 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 no. But, but you, um, you obviously you met Patrick from Dorme, who I'd known for a long time yes. previously. Yes. And uh, and you and you got here, mm. right? So you're literally just off Savile Row. Yeah. You're dealing with some of the best tailors in London in London's history even because some of those guys have been going for so many years it's ridiculous Uh, and then obviously you know ruffians like me that have (laughs) elbowed their way onto the scene Um, new kids on the block exactly but you know for me of all the cloth houses you could have ended up at I reckon you're in one of the best places no I'm I I love this company it's um you know, we are always producing something very new and very different. I think almost sometimes Dorme is ahead of the curve in what we're doing and what we produce. It's not all it's not old fashioned like a lot of uh, merchants are. It's not all just heavy and chalk stripes and uh, you know pinstripes and things like this. It's uh, 
it's very it's it's about exclusivity it's about yeah. lux- luxury it's about trying to focus on the generation that is the new generation come the you know who is what's new how can we adapt how can we do things different yeah and how can we keep on you know how can we keep on producing things that are different to everyone else because eventually everyone always is copies each other blah, yeah. blah. Um, but yeah no it's it's luxury it's exclusivity um, it's uh, it's romantic it's got the history there um, and yeah no I'm lucky to be I, I'm lucky to have found myself in a in a uh, in a in a uh, company like this yeah. for sure because sure. you're so we talk about fabric because there's fabric and then there's fabric yeah and I mean the suit I've come in wearing today I've now had four don't know actually I've probably had this suit for a, suit for a good I'm going to say six or seven years I would normally have said I was I was thinking four or five but I have to add a, a year because of the bloody year that we've lost because of COVID that book that came out that you're wearing that fabric came out in 2016 mm. okay so there you go so it's, it's six years, years old now um, and it's beautiful. It's a we'll we'll try and get a photo together before we get out of here, so sure. I can stick it on social media and and you know people listening can actually see us. Mm. We kind of look like each other, actually. <laughs> Alec arguably is better looking. Um, the um, it's a beautiful royal blue and navy um, sort of half herringbone shadow stripe, and mm. this suit has paid for itself. Dozens and dozens of times over over the years, it's crazy. This is it, yeah. I mean, you know, the fabric that we make, it's um, you know, you can go you can go and buy a suit off the peg, or you can go buy a suit which is being like tailored in, you know, for like say, you know, six hundred pounds off the peg. That suit will last you one season. You know, if you want to spend six hundred pounds on a suit, that's fine. You know, you can make you can look good, especially if mm-hmm. you've got a, a good shape to you. You know, if you've got that kind of uh, athletic build, you're young, fine. But, you know, what we do is something different. You know, we we make cloth that tailors into amazing suits and it lasts. And it doesn't last for one season. It doesn't last for two seasons. It lasts for many seasons. And yeah. that's investment. If you're gonna if you're gonna buy suits, if you can spend more, then spend more because you're gonna you're gonna end up spending less in the long run. I've I've got clients who I made suits because uh, I first started um uh, making designing suits using Dorme fabric about 12, 13 years ago. Mm. And every single one of my clients that I made a Dorme fabric suit for, yeah. they've still got them. Yeah. Right? They might not be wearing them as much because styles changed in the last 12 years, but the suits are still there. Yeah. Um, and for me, when anyone says or is trying to describe the next thing they want, and, and I, I say to them, oh, what you, because I was on the phone to someone the other evening and, uh, I need to travel to, to see him now. But, you know, he was kind of trying to work out what he wants next. And he was saying, you know, I want I want something that's just that, that other people can't get. That when I'm, I'm wearing it and I'm going to places like Goodwood and so on and so forth, that when other people are looking at me, I don't want to slam, in the, slam them in the face with it. Yeah. But at the same time, I want them to think, there's something about that that's special but I can't yeah. quite put my finger on it and for me that's what your fabrics do it's yeah. Carolina my, my wife I don't even get sick of me talking about her so what um, she calls it understated wow factor it's a good way and, of putting it yeah. yeah no absolutely I mean I say to clients look you like the suit I'm wearing yeah I get compliments on this 
every single time I wear it out, walking down the street, sitting on a bus, on my Vespa, if I'm stuck at traffic lights, I'm guaranteed every journey, someone crossing the road in front of me will turn around and go, oh my God, I love your seat. I get wolf whistles out and so on. It's it's not a suit that yeah. really shouts, but I think it, you're right. You it's know, got that intricacy in the weave and so on, yeah. and it, there's just something. And I, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna get you to talk a little bit. Just take it back from the actual fabric that we see today, that's designed, finished, produced, and go back to raw material. You're screwing your face up at me. <laughs> But it's the ingredients that underpin the yeah. fabric that are so important. And that's yeah. where companies like Dorme sit head and shoulders above everyone else. Yeah. So, I mean, like making a good fabric is like making a good wine. It's about the terroir. You know, I like we, the wine example. Yeah, you know, it's got the romance to it. Um, but yeah, so when you make good wine, you need a good source material. You need that. You need good grapes. And you need to be able to then get those good grapes in the good hands and with the people the knowledge of how to turn those grapes into good wine. And sometimes you need more than one grape. So sometimes we mix our wool with cashmere, sometimes with silk, sometimes with linen, sometimes with cotton, depending on what kind of uh, fabric we're making. And what we specialize in is using the right percentages of the right fibers to balance out to make the perfect drape, the perfect draped fabric. Um, and you know, we, we won't, we won't ever settle for anything that is substandard. So we make sure that when we are buying yarns, we are buying the finest yarns we can. Um, we buy, um, we buy responsible wool standard yarns. So it's ethically, it's uh, ethically sourced. Um, this is really important as well because you guys now have this system where you know, if I order a, a bolt of cloth from for, from you to make a suit, yeah. if the customer really wants to know the process that fabric's been through to get to his back, yeah, we can actually so yeah, kind of go all the way back to the sheet. Yeah, we've got our own blockchain of a certain of certain bunches, which isn't a you know cheap thing to do, but it's something that we were very passionate about doing. It's about traceability. We know that moving forward, every generation coming up now is going to be more conscious and more aware and more demanding about where their product is from. So we've, um, we've got a couple of uh, fabric ranges where we have created this blockchain, which, uh, which records every single process of where this fabric is from, from when it was sheared from the sheep's back. So you know uh, what you're selling to your client, that you can prove to them, say, look, this is a blockchain and what we actually do give them the graph of the the history of the journey of that fabric and it's sustainable wool from patagonia um it is uh ethically sourced it's non-mules wool uh rws wool responsible wool standard and these are all things that moving forward especially in the luxury uh fashion industry um all the big fashion houses, for example, by 2025, they will only be accepting fabric from any mill if it is RWS wool, which right. is the responsible wool standard. So this is another reason why we might be a bit more expensive than anyone else is because, you know, if you buy wool, if you buy, sorry, fabric from a, a, a different merchant, it may look the same as ours, but it's not RWS wool. And with all of our fancy designs or even our plainer fabrics, if you go to the big fashion houses, if you see their garments in, in these shops, um, I don't want to say any names because I'm not sure what I can say, but all the big major, uh, big luxury brands 
and most of their fabric, they are from places like us. Mm. So if you're making a suit for your clients, if they see something in a shop window, one of the major luxury brands, the chances are that's the same fabric as what they're buying from, getting from you because it's what we're, we're supplying. Mm. Um, so it's something that we're very passionate about, sustainability, traceability, um, and like I said, just making something exclusive. So when I say something exclusive, uh, whereas our competitors who also make lovely fabric, you know, Laura Piana make lovely fabric, Scabal make lovely fabric, uh, and we make lovely fabric. The differences are we, we, where they may make only, say, 2,000 meters of every single fabric in that fabric bunch, we may only make 500 meters of one particular fabric. And then when it's finished, we want to move on to something different. Yeah. We like the idea that there's only a certain amount of people in this world that can have that suit. And so on certain ranges, on some, some of the really high-end bunches, we only make 30 meters of that particular fabric. So, you know, that might only be eight suits. Is that a, is that a decision that's wholly driven by the desire to kind of sort of one and done, right? We don't want everybody in the world walking around that can buy at that level walking around in the same seat. Yeah. Is it exclusivity 100% or is it also partly because the raw material at that quality? So, for example, when you're getting into Super 120, uh, sorry, Super 120s, Super 200s, 220s and so on, that there's only a certain amount of that split between, obviously, the big four. You know, this is... By the way, I don't know if there's a big four in tailoring. I just made that up. (laughs) I was trying to sound like... Yeah, it sounded great. Yeah, there you go. Um, no, I think it's a, a conscious decision by us. You know, we, we want we, we want our stuff to be exclusive. We yeah. want to, that's the whole. So it's whole basically thing. not resting on your laurels because your fabrics are designed in Paris. Have I got um, that right? No, a bit of both. We have our design design team in England, and we have people design, you know on both sides. So they're much a French Anglo French company, I would yeah. say. But so um, the, the, but the fabrics are made here in Yorkshire. Here. So we've got. I would say 80% of our fabric made in England, 20% made in Italy. Um, and, you know, there are certain things that the Italian mills are better at, so we buy into that. And especially the really lightweight stuff, um, yeah. any blend things. And, yeah, you're really like, you know, just really, really good lightweight linen and silk and wool blends. Yeah, we'll get that in Italy. But um, 80% still made in England, um, stored in England. Uh, head office in Paris. Um, so yeah, we're kind of spread all over. We've got we've got an office in London, office in New York, Milan, Paris. Obviously, is a HQ. Uh, Tokyo, we've got an office in China. So and India, we've got a place in India as well. So yeah, we're a global company in terms of our sales branches, um, and I think that's represented by our collection. You know, our collection of fabrics throughout all of our bunches they're not specifically aimed at the UK markets or the you know whole European markets or the American market or the Asian market they're international they're international we've got every, something there for every single climate and something in there for every single personality and they're constantly evolving and we have you know we have regular meetings with all of the branches all the territories and we just we discuss what we need for each territory we discuss what's going to work and everyone's listened to um so yeah, it's truly a global collection, I would say. And uh, also, we do exclusive fabrics for t- different tailoring houses. We we make st- one-offs for specific people. Um, if someone wants to have an in-house um, 
Tweed or Jackson thing will say we'll work together with you know I'll be involved we'll get the designers involved and we'll try and produce something exclusively for them so the selvage on the sides of the fabric will say uh, Dorme and whoever it is and it's an exclusive fabric for them um, so yeah we try to we, we just try to accommodate our clients as much as possible yeah um, and produce something special for everyone yeah, there's also this sort of the, a lot of the technology and stuff that you guys put into some of the fabrics, like some of the collections. I remember that one of my clients who is a senior partner at one of the big consulting firms, and he is constantly traveling. Well, pre and post pandemic, he's constantly traveling, and uh, he. So I, I I took him through the Echo Range, I think it is. Yeah, and. Um, uh, I said to him, look, you're going to be investing probably twice as much as you've ever invested in a suit before. Mm. But I really think you need to try it because he's dealing with, um, you know, CEOs of huge, huge companies. Yeah. You know, you're talking, you know, Barclays and I mean, think of any big brands and that's the level that he's pitching to yeah. worldwide. And But when he's traveling, obviously a lot of guys who travel for business, they don't want to carry lots of stuff with them. Mm. But often they do because, you know, they, they'll wear a suit for a day and then it needs a bit of a rest and so they'll have a backup. Yeah. But he took one suit with him on a near enough a month's worth of travelling globally. Wow. He got back and he said, I need to talk to you about that suit. And obviously our first thought is like, oh, oh sh- sugar. <laughs> uh, it's labelled an explicit podcast, so I try and keep it clean. Um <laughs> I'm like, oh, flipping hell, now what? And uh, and he said, that fabric, you were absolutely bang on right. It's amazing. There you go. Like, it there just go. would not, it did not fail the entire trip. It just held up. It looked sharp was the that, entire that, time. That was the Echo range, right? That was Echo, yeah. Which is yeah. a Super 130, sustainable and 100% traceable. Mm-hmm. Um, nanoblock, well, it's actually what I'm wearing. This is... I think people care less about that. That stuff is highly commendable. Yeah. But I think <laughs> now, with people having this phantom five kilos of COVID poundage, yeah. uh, they care less about that stuff and they care more about the fact that it's actually got a little bit of stretch in the warp and the weft of the fabric. So yeah, it's yeah. really comfortable to wear. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, that's 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 a, well, just one example of what you get when you pay more for cloth because cheaper yeah. fabrics... You know, you wear them. You wear them for a few hours, even, well, and it, it looks like and, you've know, been sleeping in them. This is it, you know. And I think the the one thing that the when you buy a cheap suit, it can look good when you're wearing it for the first few hours. But you know, you can do the sit down test. And when you've got when there's nothing that pains me even more when I'm walking down the street, and you can see see a dude walking down the street, and you can see all the lines at the back of his knees, and it looks so bad. It looks so bad, and it's the first giveaway that it's a cheap suit or cheap fabric, at least. And, you know, you don't realise that if you do invest, like you say, in a, a more expensive suit, i.e. more expensive fabric, that this doesn't happen. I mean, it does happen eventually. Yeah. But, you know, when it happens after you've just got out, just just, just put it on and you just got off the tube, it shouldn't be doing that. And it's your, you know, we're all better than that. And no one, you can't clock it because it's at the back mm-hmm. of your legs. But everyone else will be like, why have you got all these creases at the back of your legs? Yeah, exactly. Well, the in- intricacy of the weaves in a lot of your fabrics as well. It, it, we were talking about Wow Factor earlier. And again, you know, like the suit I'm wearing today, one of my clients um, at Collar Capital, he, I walked in he, wearing this suit. <laughs> he couldn't take his eyes off it. So I'm showing him all these other fabrics. He'd be buying at a lower price point. <laughs> 
And he just kept looking at me. And part of this is me failing to really understand what he does for a living. Yeah, yeah, Basically, yeah. what he does for a living is he he seeks investment from very high net worth individuals. Yeah. And so um, he was like, yeah, okay, yeah, fine. So I was like, so what do you think? He's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I like the suit you're wearing. Uh, I'm just like Tim, you know. This this seat retails at like I know, want your clothes, two and a half, three grand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's like, I want your seat, and I was like, Can you make your seat for me? And I was like, Okay, but you're going to be spending two point five times what you've spent before, dude. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, Yeah, fine, okay. But I said, it's worth it. Don't get. I then did do my job and yeah, you know yeah, yeah. explain why. Um, but again, shortly after delivering that suit, he called me and he was like, I just want to commend you on that suit. And yeah. he said, because I went and saw an investor in the Middle East and he complimented me on my outfit straight away. Nice. And in any case, he said, I think that was a small part of me winning a massive deal, like a huge investment That's deal. Um, and you it's because he created the right first impression. I sh- shit, I should have done actually. <laughs> then I wouldn't actually need to work anymore probably <laughs> off that deal. Um, should do that. But you're right, though. And I do... That is, that is a very nice suit. I mean, you know, it's obviously the fabric's great, but you've, made, but you've made it well. Yeah. But you see, it's like every time, you know, when I when I make new suits for myself, when I eventually get them home and Carolina sees them for the first time, if it's a dorme cloth, yeah. she'll just kind of touch my arm and hold it for a second and she'll go, this is beautiful fabric. Is it dorme? Yes. See, she's Spanish. I think the Spanish, the Italians, are French. Yeah, yeah. And particularly the women have more appreciation for quality. They've got more of an eye for it naturally because yeah. I think they've grown up, you know, with that. It's, it's, it's like fruit and vegetables to Italians, French, Spanish. Yeah. Like they can't stand fruit and veg in this country because unless you go to the food hall in Selfridges or you go to Fortnum Masons. Mm. Veg is crap here. Yeah. Uh, you know, apparently, apparently I've never seen a real tomato, according to my wife. Um, but they've got more of an eye for that thing. But she'll, she'll literally just kind of hold, you know, sort of stroke the sleeve of the jacket and then she'll just rest her arm there and she'll go, it's dorme, isn't it? Mm. And I'll go to her, yeah, it is. <laughs> and then she'll lean in a bit closer and she'll go, don't fucking waste your money on anything else. Yeah, good. <laughs> all right, all right, fine. Um... And she's right, actually. They she are is the, right. I mean, they, um, are, they are the suits. I know I mean, we're saying because we're sat here I in Galway. I can't believe you actually haven't. I can't believe you actually got other suits and other fabric nails. Half reader on Baz. <laughs> you know they've been badging for so many other people for so long um, at a level. But yeah, I mean, look, you know, I, should, I, I, I do take her advice now, and, and pretty much all my suits are made from the, this amazing cloth. Um, so. We've just had um, the dreaded C thing and the pandemic, and it means that there's not been quite as much new ranges coming through in the last year, understandably, because obviously yeah. our industry has been hit really bad. Um, but as things come back, obviously next year is really exciting for Dorme because you're celebrating a huge anniversary. Yeah, so next year the company is 180 years old. Wow. So there's some exciting things in the pipelines and really... Interesting stuff, some interesting blends. Um, we're going to start refocusing a bit more on uh, the higher end of luxury again. I think we've just been, we, you know, the, our trade, our industry, and obviously the, because of COVID, we've 
focus more on re-releasing books rather than investing in new ranges and you know taking those gambles but yeah next year some very exciting stuff I know you've liked this celebration box before the stuff where we do all the fancy kind of formal wear stuff we've got a new one of those coming out um, and yeah so we've got some exciting stuff I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to say no we can save it for next year because then I can have you back on well I'll probably have you back on soon, season though. season four no, by then it'll be like season, you know, each season only lasts about eight weeks, right? So, you know, I'll be on season 257 by then. Um, so, my obviously, yeah, I know people, my mental arithmetic is absolute rubbish and I exaggerate, but hey, mm. I'm a, um, you know, I'm a, what do you call it? I'm actually not an extrovert, I'm an introvert. Um, so, uh, yeah, but my maths is crap. Um, that's why I married an accountant. So... Yeah, no, we don't need to really get into it now. But I mean, have you um, the the one thing that Dorme is also known for within our industry is its association with particularly the Daniel Craig Bond. Yeah, because there I was think, some yeah. kind of tie-ins with Quantum of Solace, and yeah. I remember when we were asked to do some promotional work for Skyfall, mm. which I was that's one of the best things I've ever done. Yeah. But but I chose Dorme. I invited the agency and the photographers to Dorme so that we could do that fitting yeah. session with all the journalists and so on because it was part of the secret agent sure, experience yeah. day um, Any anything with the new film that, um, you know I any fabrics to, we can I, look out for I, so one thing I have been doing over the last three years is really trying to develop business with film and television so one thing I will say over the last year one thing that has filled the gaps has been working with people like Pinewood Studios and Warner Brothers so uh, yes is the answer um, but uh, annoyingly they do make you sign NDAs about all the films you work with now so really I don't think I can afford to be sued by a studio <laughs> so but I can say that we did a lot for Kingsman yeah we did a lot for Kingsman um, uh, aeronauticals anything anything that's in production I can't I can't talk about that mm. Yeah. But yeah, this it was busy, busy at Pinewood this uh, last year, and a few things from Warner Brothers recently. So yeah, and it's good, you know, all the costume buyers come down here. They always do the runs, and they do. They come to us. They come to Holland and Sherry. They go to Skabau and they try and get little samples. But um, yeah, they are godsends because they will they will come down, and pick a sample, then say, oh yeah, by the way, thank you for that sample. I need two hundred meters. Um, because they need to, especially if it's an action film, they need to get. They need multiple, or, yeah, multiple exactly. Stuntmen and uh, yeah, so yeah, it's good. That's also another part of the business, really. Yeah, I think for John Wick, because we've just talked about that on another podcast that I'm on called Play Pause Turn. Go look it up, people. Um, for John Wick, they made uh, the tailor involved. I think he made somewhere in the region of 17 suits. So there was one master suit yeah. that was the perfect fit. Yeah, yeah. But then there were like 16 other variations of it. You know, yeah, some yeah. had more room in the thigh, some had yeah, more yeah. room in the arms, depending on what the stuntman or Keanu needed to do in it. There's um, a lot of fighting in John Wick. Shit, <laughs> like, the, like the third, have you seen the third one? I watched it on a plane. It's exhausting. I know, I watched it on a plane and my wife can't stand violence or like people dying. And she had her screen next to my screen and the look on her face and some of the, some of the, the deaths... And I was like, yeah. And yeah. She, she looked at me and with a face of disgust. I love I love John Wick. It's such a cool kind of uh, little 
It's three now, isn't it? It's three. Yeah. Uh, yeah, four's coming out next year. Yeah, I can't wait. I love it. Yeah. So I, yeah, no, I love it. I love if you stuff. if you love that, sorry, we're digressing again, but who cares? Um, uh, you should see Nobody, which is made by the same team with oh, okay. Bob Odenkirk from Better Call Saul and Breaking oh, yeah, Bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, that's I won't give anything away. Oh but no, it's I saw the trailer. Yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. So my dad's a martial arts instructor as well, so I've always been loved martial arts. And I've just loved violence in that aspect, not in yeah. real life. There's another film called Paper Tigers that I don't think is out here, but it's out in America. It's on a $1 rental on iTunes US. I have an iTunes US account. That's a story for a different podcast. Um, But but yeah, apparently that is very, very good. And they're just re-releasing sort of remastered all of the old Jackie Chan films from the late 70s and the 80s. Mm. The ones that he did with Sammo Hung and... Drunken Master. Uh, yeah, well, that was 70, so Drunken Master. And then he did all of the sort of action comedies in the 80s, like Police Story, yeah, Mills yeah, on Wheels, yeah, and yeah, yeah, Armour yeah. of God, and all that yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I, I really want to download all of those and get my wife watching them, because she thinks he's great from the American movies he's oh, done. God, yeah, and no, I'm no, like, no, no, no. You, you haven't, the, the poor guy's been held back in those. The Police Story. Oh, police Story is a classic. So, um, just a stunt alone. Exactly. Sorry. Anyway, we digress. Mm. I'm really looking forward to Bond because that is always really good for our industry. Because for weddings, particularly, yeah, you yeah, know, it gives guys a benchmark of what they want to look like for the next till the next one comes out. Yeah, so, it reminds them what a tuxedo, sorry, dinner jacket, dinner suit should look like. Yeah, exactly. Um, get that barathea. Get that barathea on. Yeah, mm. that's it. So, uh, so yeah, maybe we'll do, um, you, you quite into Bond? Uh, yeah, I like, I like the spectacle of Bond. Um, I just think there's been some absolute trouts. (laughs) There's been some, there's been a few, I'm like, oh, but yeah, I like, I do, I like Bond. I I like the franchise. It's fun, isn't it? It's fun. So this is what I'm, what I'm thinking of doing is doing a, a, a rewatch. I've not actually seen every single one. Do you know that like when you're a kid, you don't really pay attention. You just yeah. pay attention to the action bits. And you just kind of hop between... Yeah, and you yeah exactly. But I'm thinking about going to the beginning and kind of over the course of maybe a year, like watching them all in sequence. Doctor Knows the first one. Doctor, Doctor Knows the first one. Yeah. yeah. Not the Sony one that Sean Connery went to them to do uh, that is just a load of trollop um, but yeah so I'm thinking about doing that so maybe we'll have an offline conversation about that because yeah. that could be quite entertaining actually and also it's, it's more actually to kind of not just to watch the films and laugh at them but uh, it's also just to have a look at how fashion's kind of evolved yeah that's a good that point because yeah, yeah, no, it's a good a... benchmark for men's fashion over the yeah, last 50-60 yeah, years it's a good way to start the conversation I think yeah so, um, so yeah, brilliant. I've just signed you up for like at least two or three more episodes. Brilliant. Um, listen, um, you have got um, a date to get to. So we're going to bring it to a close there. But thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's been so good to be back here. Hey, it's been a pleasure. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully over the coming weeks, I'll be back a lot more often. Well, right. hopefully you'll be too, we'll both be too busy. And all the uh, all the sales and you know all the people buying suits ready for the winter weddings. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, um, I'll be busy here because I'll be coming to Rice Creek right. collections. Right. Exactly. That's it. 
so uh, so yeah look you know i get the sense that september october is is where it's potentially going to explode for, yeah. for our industry i think it will uh, as long as we don't get put into lockdown four by then which oh, don't say that word yeah i know but i was with an nhs doctor today Whoa. measuring him up Whoa. and the inside info is that Oh, you heard it here first oh that um, potentially there is well there's a high likelihood that we are going to be in some form of restriction again when we get to late autumn so you know make hay while the sun's shining guys get out get out <laughs> yeah, get no. out now I've banned myself from talking about it I don't but it's just I found that out today and Great. I had to tell On someone that really lovely note yeah we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna bring it to close here <laughs> And I'm never going to be able to come back here ever again. Alec, listen, thank you so much. No worries. Um, it's just been lovely to have you. And uh, I do look forward to seeing you. And don't worry, look, he's totally depressed now. I've like, <laughs> ripped the jam right out of his donut. Um, but yeah, no, thank you very much. Um, uh, resources for anyone listening that is kind of interested in fabric and so on where's the best place for them to sort of go and learn more about Dormay, history of Dormay? They, they can come here. Our showroom is always open for people to come down. Really? Look to normal f- yeah, people? they can come down, look through our bunches, and I'm here fairly regularly, so anyone wants to come down, uh, flick through our fabric bunches, um, yeah, we sell, we sell it by the cut length. So, yeah, come down and talk to me if you want to know a bit more. Fantastic. I will put Alex's contact details in please the show do. notes, as yeah, always. Please yeah. do, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Cool stuff. Brother, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see each other very soon. My pleasure. Season three is off and running with a bang. Thank you so much for joining Alec and I. And I want to say a massive thank you to Alec and the team at Dorme for hosting us and making me feel so welcome, as they always do. If you'd like to learn more about Dorme's amazing fabrics and would like to take Alec up on his offer of a visit to Dorme's showroom in Mayfair, You can connect with him via the details I've put for you in the show notes. That was such a great conversation and I really loved finding out about Alex's journey from acting to the world of luxury fabrics. It's yet another tailoring talk story of overcoming challenges and not giving up when things don't go your way in life. Our industry is much richer for having people like Alec in it and I'm so privileged to get to work with someone like him. Dorme really do make amazing fabrics. My suits are part the cut and part the amazing ingredients I get to put into them. Whether you're new or a regular listener, thank you once again. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. And it would be amazing if you would give me some feedback in the form of a review, as well as telling me what you like about the show and what you'd like to see in future episodes. It also helps with those weird podcast algorithms and brings new listeners to the show. Before I go, I'd like to give a couple of shout outs. Firstly, to the entertainment podcast, Play, Pause, Turn, featuring myself, John Evans, Alex Hansford, Amy Hansford and Mark Holmes. We get together every fortnight to discuss the latest things we've watched, played and read. Also to the Background Dancer podcast hosted by Jason Yap, who was also my guest in episode 14. Jason is a professional dancer and producer who's on a mission to shine a light on the aspects of the dance industry that are normally kept in the shadows. A big part of his show is nurturing the spirit of dancerpreneurship 
A big part of his show is nurturing the spirit of dancerpreneurship and ensuring performing artists are equipped for a life beyond performance. If you're interested in the arts and you're interested in business, this is a podcast you'll really enjoy. That's it from me. Whatever you get up to over the coming days, have lots of fun, keep safe and stay well. I'll see you on the next one. Done. That's it. I'll just look at 5.30 on the dot. Okay, you're good. Yep.